Morning, church. Let's stand and worship together.
search the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough then you came along and put me back together you did and every desire is now satisfied here in your love
into armies, Lord. We follow you. Be our vision, Lord. Be our victory. Be our high king as we follow you.
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. In case you're new to us and you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, one of many pastors who would love to be here to serve you and your spiritual needs, especially please know that we're here for that. If you're online, on campus, outside, inside, uh, venue, in the room, we're glad you're with us. Maybe you're watching it on Friday because you wouldn't want to miss an installment in the series wherever you're at. We're so glad that you're here. I know there's a lot of new people. I've been meeting a lot of new people this month. And so uh, I want to just say I'll be on the patio. And if you're new to us, I'd love to get to know you, how you got here, all those kind of things. I do those uh, every Sunday, so make sure you come out there and say hello. Uh, I was gone last week. Actually, it was my 21st anniversary last uh, this last week, and so we took a weekend off, and uh, 21 years and no class. Can you imagine? I'm saying. I know, are the Van Z's here? Raise your hand if the Van Z's are here. Maybe the, the second gathering time. We, have, we share the same anniversary date. They just have like 40 years on us. And so I wanted to point them out because they're awesome. Can you imagine? They say your 15th year of marriage, you hit a hurdle for some reason. And I'm just telling you, if you are there, you got to keep on going because it gets better. You got to keep on going and, uh, and, and persevere. So anyway, I was gone last week. I went to two churches, uh, two friends of mine. Uh, one was uh, Pastor um, Jim Jackson of Orchard Church in the Temecula area. Marietta is where his church is at. Uh, started the church. They had like 100 people. Today, it's like three. 4,000, went to college with him, and so I wanted to see what his church was doing. Another one was Pastor Mark Lee, an Asian guy out of Talbot, uh, um, out of Biola and Talbot, and he started a church, uh, planted a church in Eastvale, and uh, kind of by Corona, and again, a church that went from nothing to probably about four or 5,000 people, and so I wanted to check out some things while I'm gone and see what I could bring back. I do have some ideas, and I am bringing back some things. It'll take us a couple months to, to install those things, but thank you for letting me go and make sure that we're doing the best we can for us as a church so we can gl greater glorify God and, and just uh, reach his purposes that much more. So with that, let me just say this. Uh, today's morning uh, uh, opener is going to be a little bit of a PG-13 variety of an illustration. I mention that every once in a while because I want to make sure that I know there's some families that really value having their children in the services or in the gatherings with us. They want to see worship. I love that. I'm glad you, you do that. At the same time, I speak to adults, and so when these things come out, I'll just say, hey, it's a little bit of a PG-13 variety. We do have children's uh, you know, gatherings going on right now for children, and, uh, and if you want to get up and go right now, now's the time. In fact, I'm going to say something else, and you'll have enough time to get them there and back and not miss anything. Some people say, why do you say PG-13, and then when you say it, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. And yeah, it's probably going to be like that too, but when you're trying to explain those things to a five, six, seven, eight-year-old, it becomes a little bit more complicated for the family. So I just try to give a heads up. And so uh, with that being said, uh, we'll let them go do that. And while that's happening, I will just let you know that in July, we've seen kind of record attendance at our church, uh, KMCC, on Sundays, which is is kind of uh, really interesting because July is usually like, like take a break from church and go on vacation month. You know, in church lights, in the church life world, most people do that. In fact, they say that stateside Airbnbs and travel is down because Americans are picking up uh, this summer and doing their post-COVID international travel. I did international travel this summer. Did you? I mean, everybody's doing that, but that doesn't seem to have affected our attendance. In fact, it's the opposite. We're seeing record levels of attendance this month. And so we're very excited about that. But with that being said, we need your help. Now, we're kind of scared because usually what happens in July is your down month and then August and September uh, are the months where we expect a lot of people to come. Well, if we're up in July, what's going to happen in August and September? So right now we're going to put on the screen a little uh, uh, QR code that you can see. 
and that you can kind of take a picture of. And if you want to help, we need help in our, whether it's hospitality or ushers or greeters, we need help in our children. We're seeing a boom with children. If you just want to hold babies, early childhood area, or you want to help in the, you know, K to three, we need help. We need help with fourth and fifth, uh, sixth through 12th grade. In fact, we've seen this year, it's like a historical bump in our attendance with youth ministries. And I hate to mention this, but we're really thinking like Kenny's thinking right now, if we continue to see the number of students that we we have, we might have to limit the type of events that we do because we can't uh, have that right uh, student to staff ratio that we need to keep everybody safe. Now, I'm telling you as a pastor, I don't like hearing that. I don't like saying that. That is everything against the grain of what's inside of me. But maybe you right now are the person that says, you know what? I connect with kids on that level. Uh, the teenagers like me and I like teenagers. Well, then we have a spot for you. We need you. And so uh, you can click on that, uh, uh, on that QR code. Let us know that you're available. This is so important to us that we made it our rally cry this year. So our, our staff came together. We meet every Tuesday. We have staff meetings. Our rally cry is to get 100 new volunteers in 2023. It's now July. We've able, been able to accomplish 71 of those of 100. And so maybe you're one of the last 29. Uh, Kenny is going to get us all ice cream sundaes if we can accomplish that goal. So what am I trying to tell you? Help us get our sundays is what I'm trying to say. You don't want us to not have our Sundays, right? You can help us. You're not going to get a Sunday. No way. We're going to get Sundays. We need, we need 29 more volunteers to hit that. Again, we want to hit the ground running. And if you've been coming to our church six months to a year and you haven't found your place to connect yet, maybe you see that extra little nudge. Okay, this is, I'm needed. I want to do this. Let me, let me see how I can get involved. We would love to enfold you into uh, the church. So I uh, invite you to do that. All right, with that, we will get started with PG-13. I always love doing that because people are like, on the seat, what is he going to say? PG-13. Uh, it's probably not going to be that all that impressive. But anyway, uh, 20 years ago or so, I met a lady, a great woman, a, a good a, a God-fearer, a follower of Christ, a devote, devoted, devoted Christian. She has started a, uh, um, a nonprofit organization. She was the founder, the president, the CEO of this uh, a new organization that she had founded. And really this organization had just taken off. I mean, she started and just started taking off. Uh, she had capitalized on the uh, societal value uh, of, of, of a deep desire to do something good, community-minded, good, good things in the community. Uh, she made it a part of a vision and brand that, that they would give back a portion of their poor proceeds for this endeavor. And uh, something that's now commonplace, you can't be a company without having some way you give back, um, was, definitely, was definitely something that was new on the scene about 20 years ago. And she decided that she wanted to help with raising awareness and monies for breast cancer and breast cancer research. The name of the organization was, and maybe still is, I haven't, I haven't followed it, but was and maybe still is, Save the Tatas. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting. Save the Tatas is a name. I'm not lying. Like she gave up the save. I've never asked him, like, how did you come up with that name? Like, where did you get? I mean, it's funny. You hear it, you start laughing. Save the Tatas. You know, and so and she she says, uh, well, I, I just remember that we were really into the moniker Save the, the Save the Moniker. And then it was like from there, uh, Save the, and then uh, you know, implant word that is a synonym for, you know, uh, uh, the body part that's unmentionable, he says strategically. And so so, uh, there it was. I'm on Google and I'm searching. I'm, I'm looking for save the, and then I'm looking for words that were synonyms. And, and, and I type in upper female torso region words. <laughs> no, she didn't. But anyway, the point is, and then she keeps on going. And then every time she found a word that was a synonym to the word uh, that I'm trying to avoid saying, uh, she would say it to her husband. So she could save the, fill in the blank, save the, fill in the blank, save the, fill in the blank. And then once I said, save the tatas, and my husband started laughing, I go, well, there it is. That's the one. And so she named the organization Save the Tatas. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if the organization is still around today, but I know what they were doing 20 years ago is they were selling like uh, shampoos and, and uh, body washes that on the back of the bottle will give you like a, a checklist of how to uh, check yourself. So the, kind of like early detection strategies in this area. And, and I asked her, why, why, why are you in this? You know, I, trying to see if there's a story behind it. 
So I have a best friend who is my age. At the time, she was like, you know, uh, late 20s, early 30s. And, and she had come down with breast cancer. And she said, I, I wanted to do something in solidarity with her to, to walk this journey with her. I wanted her to know that I was there with her. And then secondly, uh, I, I wanted to, you know, do something about eradicating this problem completely. I remember telling her, wow, that's really cool. You started your own nonprofit organization. It seems to be taking off. They had, were selling wristbands and, uh, you know, uh, and, um, and, and I said, this is so cool. She goes, well, well now I want to let you know, Pastor, I'm not only the founder and starter of a nonprofit organization, but we are a nonprofit organization that is committed to give a percentage of our gross sales to the cause, not just the net. And if I remember right, it was like 15% of whatever comes in is going straight out to, uh, to breast cancer research. And, 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 and uh, we're going to do that based on the gross, not on the net. And I go, well, you seem to make a, a pretty detailed description of that. What, what is with that? And she said, oh, well, y- y- you might not know that there are many nonprofits that claim to do good work for the community and devote a portion of their profits to this community-minded idea, whatever the ideal is, but then they set their salaries at $500,000 a year. And in the end, when they look at the books, they, they actually fail to make a profit, and they actually give nothing. I was like, stop it, that does not happen. You're telling me that they have nonprofits that go there and say, we will give of our profits to these causes, politi- whatever the cause, not political cause, but whatever these good causes are, and then they structure their salaries to where they don't make a profit. And so they have to give, they end up giving nothing. And so you're giving, thinking that you're giving to this cause or buying this item, thinking you're giving to the cause. Really, you're just paying for somebody's salary. And the cause itself isn't flourishing. I go, that does not happen. That can't happen. And she goes, oh, it happens. And so we decided to make sure that we're going to budget ourselves so that we will not just donate based on the net of what we get, but on the gross, whatever comes in, we will budget so whatever comes in, 50% of the gross goes straight to breast cancer research. Isn't it amazing how you can take something that was meant to be good, virtuous, pious, maybe even religious, and turn it into something that's self-centered? Something at the very basis of the foundation of the notion is supposed to be very good, turns into something that's more selfish and self-centered. Today, we're going to continue on our journey through 1 Samuel, where we have seen Saul, the king of Israel, make some monster self-centered mistakes. And we'll ask questions as we've been asking, what happens when our self-centered ends overrides our devotion to God? What kind of situations or predicaments can we find ourselves when we veer off from a self, uh, a centered devotion to God, centered devotion to God. How is our legacy on this earth affected when we use religiosity to manipulate or coerce God in his favor? For that, I'd like you to open your Bible to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Love for you to get there. If you have a phone, I'd love you to get at your phone. And we want to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. We are a Bible-preaching church. And so you bring your Bible. I got I to gotta just let you know, I'm considering maybe taking the verses off the screens in hopes that more people will be that much more encouraged to bring their Bibles and open up their phones and follow along with because we want you to be in the Word of God. We believe the Word of God can change your life. And so as we consider that, start bringing your Bibles, opening up with us. We'll make sure the lights are all on high enough to where you can see and follow along. Uh, first uh, Samuel verses, uh, or, or chapter 14, we'll be ending that chapter today. And the overarching question is, what happens when we leverage religious devotion for self-centered aims? What happens when we leverage religious devotion for self-centered aims or ends? What happens when we do that? The first thing we're going to see is we find ourselves in giant predicaments. That's what Saul's going to find out today. Uh, He finds himself in two giant predicaments. What happens when we leverage religious devotion? I'll give you this, God, if you give me my self-centered aim or end. Well, we find ourselves in giant predicaments is what happens uh, follow as I read, uh, starting in verse 24. And the men of Israel had, had uh, been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until this evening, and I'm avenged on my enemies. 
And so none of the people tasted food. Now, when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for fear of the oath. But Jonathan, who had not heard his father's charge to the people with the oath, uh, so he put, his, put, uh, put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. And Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I've tasted of a little honey, on, uh, a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day and Michmash to Ihalang. And the people were faint and the people pounced on the spoil they took uh, and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. And then they told Saul, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, you have dealt treacherously, roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox and his sheep and, his, and slaughter them and eat, but do not sin against the Lord by eating them with the blood. And so every one of the people brought his ox with him. And that night uh, they slaughtered them there and Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar he had built to the Lord. It's kind of a uh, backhanded slap in the, in, in, in the text here. He built an altar, but it's only the first one he's built in all the years that he's been reigning so far. Um, what happens when we leverage religious devotion for self-centered aims? Well, we find ourselves in giant predicaments. There's two giant predicaments that Saul finds himself that we're going to look at here. Uh, and we find ourselves in, in, in situations that that don't necessarily have solutions, all because we're leveraging religiousness or religiosity for something that's more self-centered in nature. Um, Saul is surprised that God, uh, uh, or, or surprisingly responds to his tired and hard-pressed army by constraining them on what they're able to eat. Fasting was usually something that you did when you wanted to take um, note of your spiritual plight. And so what I'm gonna do is focus in on spirituality and, and, and hope that the, physic, the physical needs kind of, kind of fall by the wayside, they fade away. What's more important is what's spiritual. And so I'm going to uh, um, show that by taking a break from food, taking a break from, from whatever it might be. It could be social media. I'm gonna focus in on what's really important. But he does it at a time that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you do this now when your people are in battle? Like, this is the wrong time to do it. He wasn't spiritually concerned over a spiritual condition so that physical necessities fade in the background. No, he wanted to avenge his enemies. His vengeance was more the forefront of his mind rather than consecration or, or, or you know, consecrating yourself to the Lord. He was manipulating religiosity for his own gain. I'm gonna make everybody not eat, so God has to come through for me. You guys are all going on a mandated fast, and God will have to give me the victory. Securing God's help, so to speak. Well, this results in some deeply problematic stuff, deeply problematic issues. The first predicament is when his son accidentally breaks the oath. His son is the one, if you remember, ran off and, and took the fight to the Philistines, even though he was outnumbered, outmanned, uh, you know, outarmed, everything. And he begins this whole thing to where God gives him the victory. He wasn't there when Saul made the oath. And so all the soldiers know, because they were back with Saul before the battle. Battle happens, and they're going into battle, and Saul, it, it, John didn't even know. And so now you have this issue where he breaks the oath, even though he didn't know the oath happened. It's quite a predicament. And when he's told about it, like your father said you're not supposed to eat and you ate and all these things, he goes, his response is to say, well, my father has troubled the land. What was he saying? The troops were weak and they needed to be strong. 
This is the point at which they had the most caloric need. They're at their highest need for calories. They're running, they're running on low blood sugar and they're trying to beat a battle. They're trying to beat a foe in battle. He goes on to say the victory has been diminished. The Philistines could have been beat back completely. This command hurts us more than it helps us. Saul, if you didn't do that, we could have beat them once and for all. And I want you to register that in your mind and just for one second. The Philistines could have been done right then and there. Just keep that in your memory as we come back to that later. The second predicament was that Israel ends up breaking the law out of desperation. God had a clear command in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 23 to 25. It was very clear that you were to drain the blood of an animal that you prepared for eating. The way you would do that is you would suspend the animal and all the blood would drain out and you would never eat meat with blood in it. But because of their extreme hunger, they bypass this. They slaughter the animals on the ground. They don't hang them. They're just so hungry. It's been so long. We've just been working our hardest to not... To, to not break this oath for Saul, once sun came down or whatever, once, the, once that oath was over in the evening, they scavenged for food and they were just slaughtering the animals on the ground and bypassing the whole command to drain it of its blood. There's not enough time for that. We're so hungry. We're famished. We've been in battle. And the reason, you might go, why, why, why the stipulation in the Old Testament about not eating meat with blood? And, and I eat, you know, I like my meat rare, so am I breaking the law, you know, type of thing. In ceremonial sacrifices, it was the blood of the animal that made atonement for the people. And so therefore, blood was not to be eaten. As a kind of a symbolic gesture, we know it's the blood that provides atonement for us. Therefore, we don't eat of the blood. We drain the animal of the blood. We understand today that that was a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice to come in Jesus Christ, whose blood atones for our sin. And our remembrance of that activity is actually to take communion in remembrance of that. But their remembrance was, oh, wait a second, because the, because the lifeblood is so important for the forgiveness of sins, we don't eat that portion. Because that's fulfilled in Christ, we don't follow that same ceremonial rule that we had in the Old Testament. But for them, it was key. And they were, by, they were bypassing it because they're so blessed hungry. And there's an interesting kind of application towards legalism here. Legalism is the idea that I can somehow please God outside of the work of Christ. Follow what I'm saying here. Legalism is the idea that God smiles on me based on my actions apart from the work of Christ. And I'm here to tell you that you can only make God smile by, by, the, by the righteousness of Christ. Your righteousness is as filthy rags according to the scriptures. You can never be good enough to measure up to God. All we have is Jesus Christ and his righteousness on our behalf. So I don't make God smile more any other day than, than when, I, when he's looking at me through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my righteousness. But sometimes what we do is we say, I'm gonna add rules onto my life. And if I add these rules, they get, go further than the scriptures say, then God will smile on me more than he smiles on him or her or them. And that's not how it works. You can't get any better than the righteousness of Jesus. It doesn't get better than that. So then why do we do good works? We're not trying to earn anything. Absolutely, we never. Why do we effort then? I love how Pastor uh, Jordan said, God doesn't mind effort. We just don't earn anything. We give our effort because we wanna say, thank you. Thank you for what you did to me. Thank you for how you solved this problem for me. I want you to have my life now because of everything you've given me. It's a gratitude. It's a gesture of gratitude, not in an effort to say, well, look, I'm better than all those other folks. That's legalism. And here's a great example of this. When we make extra biblical rules, that means we go rules in addition to the Bible. That's what Saul did. There was no, nothing that said that he had to make this oath. Well, I'm going to make this extra rule. That can actually lead to actually breaking God's rules out of desperation and even depression over not being able to live up to these self-made extra-biblical rules. Legalism actually can cause you, steer you away from the word of God and what it says because you get so exasperated in the process. Suffice it to say, it is best to never go beyond the text. Don't go beyond the text. If you have a verse, then follow and, and, and obey. If you don't have a verse, you're adding extra. I say this especially to like young believers. I want to be a believer in Christ. I want to follow Christ. And, I, and my great motivation, I want to do extra. And I'm just telling you, don't do extra. You don't need to do that. 
It's just gonna frustrate you in the process. Just follow his word. There's enough here. Just follow this and forget the extra. Don't add these extra rules. The Pharisees in the New Testament would add a hedge of protection around the Bible, like a fence around it. And the idea was if we never encroach on that fence, we'll never encroach on the word of God. You would think, how hey, that's probably actually not that bad of motivation. Yes, except for what it did was made the people exasperated with religion. We don't want to exasperate. God doesn't want to exasperate. Just follow his word. Don't add extra rules to it. Great application for legalism here. Well, Saul, Saul finds himself in a giant predicament, but that's not all. What happens when we leverage uh, religious devotion for self-centered aims? Number one, we find ourselves in giant predicaments, but we also find ourselves living with a checkered legacy. Find ourselves living with checkered legacies. That's what's gonna end up happening to Saul. He's living with a checkered legacy. In fact, today we teach on his life with a checkered legacy. What happens when we leverage religious devotion for self-centered aims? We find ourselves living with checkered legacies. I wanna go back and read, uh, starting at verse 36. It says this, then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave one of the men alive. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Before we do this one, why don't you ask God first? And Saul inquired of God and Saul, uh, shall I go down after the Philistines and will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he, being God, did not answer him that day. God goes silent. And Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. Saul thinks it must be some kind of sin reason God's not answering. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there's not a man among the people who answered him. And then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, and Jonathan and I, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do it as it seems good to you. And therefore Saul said, O Lord, God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in my son, Jonathan, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. And if it's, if it's guilt is on your people, Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And then Saul said, cast a lot between me and my son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. And then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me, what have you done? And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey at the tip of my staff that was at the end of my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not be one hair of his head that will fall to the ground, for he has worked with God to this day. And so the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. And Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. We'll stop there. What happens when we leverage religious devotion for self-centered aims? Well, we find ourselves living with a checkered legacy. Interesting here. Saul finds himself in a little bit of a pickle. Um, there's this oath I made, and there's my son. In fact, I made this big, grandiose gesture. Even if it's my son, he'll die. And so now I've got my son pinned against this oath I have with God. God goes silent. Saul says, I got to find out why. Comes up with a way. We've talked about this Urim and Thurim, Thumen. Urim and Thummim idea, it was a, a vest in the, uh, the ephod was a vest that the high priest would wear. And there's a special pocket in there that held these, what we believe, most people believe it was two stones. One would be a light stone and one would be a dark stone. And you could ask the priest to reach in there. You could ask yes or no questions of God. It was kind of like a, a God-sanctioned way of knowing God's will in, in real time. Uh, how do we know if God is for this or not? Well, ask the high priest to pull one of the stones from his ephod in the pocket and, and see if you get Urim or Thurim and just say, hey, God, if it's, if it's a yes, give me Urim. Or Urim and if it's, if it's no, give me Thumen. And give me the white stone or the black stone and I'll know whether or not I can move forward. So he comes up with this whole idea and, and he basically says, you know, here's what we're gonna do. I don't know why God's not answering. We're gonna find out right now. Everybody sit around and watch this. Let's start with me and my son. 
And no doubt the idea was, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, lead as an example. And if I can exonerate my son and me, then we'll know that the problem is in one of the people in Israel. We'll find out who it is. We'll take them out and God will answer. Well, the problem is they get selected. So it's not all of Israel. It's either Jonathan or, or Saul. And then he goes, well, I guess I got to ask which one of us. And so now he pins himself against his son. And the lot falls on them, and then the lot falls on Jonathan. Now remember, this is after he made a big to-do about how, even if it's my son, I'll kill him. Jonathan sits there and goes, yeah, it was me. I didn't even know about your, your, your oath that you made to God, but I did. I mean, I did it, and I, and I suppose I should die. I mean, I, that, that's the way it should go. There are a lot of commentators that debate that, that, that he's, is he saying, I should die, which is the most literal way of taking it, or is he saying, must I die, kind of in, in complaint about this. I actually take the perspective that he's saying, no, I should die. You had this oath. I didn't know about it, but still I ate it, so I should die. It's the most literal understanding. And here you have the point in the text or in this narrative storyline where Saul has a decision to make. Does he humbly admit that he was wrong for making the oath in the first place? Or does he take out his son? And he literally chooses in our text, fine, it better be you because it's not going to be me. And he decides that he will take out his son. Remember, his son's the one who brought the battle to the Philistines, is responsible for the victory of the Philistines, is responsible for the hand of God going with him over the Philistines so that Saul, who was sitting underneath a pomegranate tree having a siesta, could look good. Saul finally comes in the battle and now he's ready to kill off his son. You can see some of the mirroring of the, of the competition between Saul and Jonathan, who's his son, as we will see later between Saul and David, this rising up inside him. This is the most uncomfortable part of this text, the last section here, where the people of God actually come to Jonathan's aid. There's like a coup-like uprising that happens the people make sure that Jonathan isn't taken out. And by doing this, they're so clearly placing fault on Saul and his oath rather than Jonathan and his disobedience. They're overruling the king. They're saying, in essence, we believe God's with Jonathan and not with you, King Saul. And this is like the kiss of death for any leader. If you ever led anything, you know this is the kiss of death. The kiss of death as a, le the kiss of death as a leader is when no one is following you. And here they say, we're not going to do it, and we're not going to let you touch a hair on his head. Not going to happen. This is so clearly the beginning of the end for Saul. You talk about a checkered legacy. That's, I mean, they overrule. The subjects of the king overrule him. Ouch. And now I want you to see what happens at the very, very end of our section. Verse 47 says... When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he had violent, uh, violent, the, viol, say, <laughs> that's the word, and I can't say it even though I practiced it like five times. Uh, struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. And now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishbi and Malachi Shua. Uh, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of his firstborn was Merab, and the name of his younger was Makal. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, and the daughter of Ahimaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, and who was Saul's uncle, and Kish, the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abel. There was hard fighting against the Philistine all the days of Saul. Be a great line to underline, highlight, circle. There was hard fighting against the Philistine all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any man, uh, there's that word again, he would attach him to himself. <laughs> I'm not even going to try it. Bye. Fail. Violent. No, I can't even say it. I can't say it. I'm not, okay. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm going away from it. Moving away. I thought I had it. I can't say it. Um, what's the point? 
The point of this last section is that the credits are starting to play on the screenplay called Saul's Kingdom Reign. His legacy is checkered in the sense that he's known as a great fighting king, but he can never overtake the Philistines. They're still there. In fact, David's the one who has to take them out later. There's now fierce war with the Philistine all the days of Saul, verse 52. In summary, he loses favor with God. There's great division over his son. He has a history of defeating everyone except for the Philistines. And then there's bookend type literature. What do I mean by that? If you go and read the judges, at the end of every judge, they say, here's his family. This is what he did in his reign. Here's his family. This is what he did in his reign. This is who his father was, his son was, all these. And here's what he did in his reign. It's bookend type literature. It's the very, okay, so we get, you hear about a judge, and then this is his family, and this is what he did in his reign. Here is bookend literature for Saul, but he's not dead yet. The irony is the closing credits are playing and the movie isn't over. Can you imagine going, I went to the movie last week. Can you imagine me in the middle of the movie and they do the closing credits? What happened? What happened? What happens at the end of the movie? Like the closing credits are playing before the movie's over. You talk about a checkered legacy. The, the people choose his son over him. He's known as a great leader and fighter, but not, he couldn't take out the Philistines. All this stuff about his own ego and his own purposes and trying to leverage God in those purposes. And the credits start playing before the movie's over. Which leads me to the big idea. If God is not at the center of our devotion, then we are all off base. If God is not the center of your devotion, then you are off base. If God is not the center of my devotion, then I'm off base. And that's the story of Saul's reign, unfortunately. Is the center of your devotion God? Or is it anything else in this world? Because if it's anything else in this world, then you're off base. And that's what we see in this story. He tries to avenge himself in his name. It's not like David who says, who's this man who's charging against our God? That's a God fight, that's a God battle. What Saul was saying, who are these people who are, who are coming against my name? That's his name in his battle. He wasn't trying to avenge for God. He was trying to get vengeance for himself. Which brings me to some really interesting ideas. You see, there's a big difference between Christianity and churchianity. There's a big difference between godly virtuosity and religiosity. One is verifiable and one is falsifiable. Am I in this because he is my complete and utter devotion overall, over everything on this earth, my, my job, my money, my, my 401k, my homes, my, my whatever, my career trajectory, is he number one? Am I more in it for his fame or my fame? There's a difference between Christianity and churchianity. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're an actual Christian. There's a difference between godly virtuosity and religiosity. You can put on religion and still use it for your own endeavors. One is verifiable, one is falsifiable, and oftentimes the difference can be sifted out by simply asking one question. What is the center of your devotion? Is it him or is it something else? Well, how do you know what the center of your devotion is? You know, it's interesting. Last week I went to go see a movie. In fact, I'd recommend it. Um, I, I really highly recommend this movie uh, that just came out. It's called The Essential Church. It's in select theaters right now, so you'll have to drive to get there. I was able to watch it in Thousand Oaks. Hopefully more people will watch it and they'll spread out as far as more theaters can get to it. But it's a documentary style picture chronicling the events of the COVID pandemic in both the United States and Canada as it relates specifically towards the church and the state's attempts at closing them. One of the churches that was at the center of such a battle was not far from us, right here or nearby to us in Los Angeles County. The picture documents the events of this contemporary occurrence and then cross reference is the struggles of the capital C church historically. Hundreds of years ago, there would be some notable and prominent ladies in Christian history who would die for what some people would say is silly. In those days, the king had made some commands of what hymnal should be used in the church. 
what songs should be sung in the church. And when these ladies refused to say, no, you're not allowed to tell us what we sing in the church. You're not allowed to tell us how we do church. You may be head over this country and God may have placed you there, but Christ is head over the church. When they refused to follow, they would take them out when the tide was low and they would stick in posts in the grounds and tie them to the post and wait for the tide to come in. And as the tide would come in, it's getting closer and closer to their nose. They'd go back to these ladies and say, would you like to recant now? Just sing the stupid songs that the king wants you to sing. And there were believers in that time who refused. And their reasoning, if we as a church don't tell the state that they're simply an institution made and placed there in their position by him who is truly head of everything, then who will? You may be king. And while God has placed you there, you are not head of the church, only Christ is. And this church in LA County with this as their inspiration and their concern that somehow believers had bought the lie that church life was non-essential, they decided to take a public stand. Other churches, ours included, took a stand even if not as public. Did you know that the church continued to have church during the bombomic plague where people were dying? Did you know that church sent people to go serve those who were infected with the plague? And their reasoning was, we're the ones who know where we're going afterwards. We're going to heaven. So it's our duty to go share with those people the love of Christ who are dying with this plague. And it was Christians who went in and the world was shattered. What, who are these people and why are they signing up for death? They're doing it because they want to introduce somebody who can save them outside of this world. The part of the documentary that grabbed me the most was when the head elder of that church mentioned that he was approached by some back channels in the career field. He had some kind of really, really um, notable financial institution that he ran. And they came and they said, we know who you are. And we know what church you affiliate with. And we know how you're one of the leaders of that church. And they hinted at how he could lose a lot of business if the word got out that people knew that he was a leader in that church that had an agenda to try to spread the virus. You know what they're asking him? Would you like an opportunity to recant? His answer, my deepest devotion is to Christ. Employment or not, my devotion is to Christ. Career or not, my devotion is to Christ. Forward mobility or not, my devotion is to Christ. Jail or not, my devotion is to Christ. And for our brothers and sisters in past centuries and today in the militant areas, life or death or not, my devotion is to Christ. Ironically, they try to threaten him with the world, word getting out. So clearly he made a movie, he's on the screen telling the world. Center my devotion is Christ. God is not the center of our devotion, then we are off base. You could say it this way, when God is not the center of our devotion, then we are off base. You know, there'll be an opportunity, a day for you to prove the center of your devotion. And then we'll all know. It'll come and we will know, we will find out. Was this whole thing simply a means to a certain end that you were trying to achieve? Or is he God? Is it just a means to a $500,000 salary? Or is he God? Did you put the fish logo on your business because you wanted more business? Or is he God? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we can uh, give Saul a hard time and he certainly made mistakes, there's no question. Big mistakes, monster mistakes. But the truth is we make mistakes all the time too. And, and I could place myself in there when I don't have you as a center of my devotion, I'm off base. 
And Lord, that happens often for me, and it happens often for a lot of people in this room, and we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives us and makes us new again. Your mercies are new every morning. Why do they need to be new every morning except for I keep on messing up? You cover us with the blood of Jesus, and you give us a new opportunity today. Would you make me the center of your devotion today? Would you make me the center of your devotion today? Would you make me the center of your devotion today? Father, I pray for those in the room who don't even know you yet, that they'd make you the center of their devotions today by coming to Christ, placing faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who've known Christ for a long time, and sometimes as years go by, the love fades. Help us all to make you the center of our devotion today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. If we haven't met, my name's Kenny Kibble. I'm the executive pastor here. You know, David talked a lot today about the blood of Christ and grace and legalism and putting our devotion and trust in him for our salvation. You know, a lot of, if you're from the outside checking us out, maybe you got invited by a friend, got to say, first of all, you have a pretty cool friend because they care about where you go when you die. Um, but you know, there's a lot, a common misconception is that, you know, God's kind of like this big, you know, scale, like here's my good, here's my bad. If I do more good, I'm in. If not, you know, really bad people go to hell. That's not how it works though. Uh, the Bible says everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. We're all disqualified uh, and we're all of us are dependent upon his sacrifice on the cross to pay the debt for the sins we've committed in our life. And he offers it out freely to whoever asks. He can't force it on us. If he forced it on us, we'd be robots. And he doesn't want that. He wants people who choose to love him and choose to follow him. Um, and he doesn't, he gives us our free will. So we have to have this moment where we say, Lord, I need you. Please forgive me. I turn away from my sins. I want to follow you. If you're ready to do that today, maybe the Lord's pulling you or drawing you. Uh, we want to be here for you and help you understand what that is and, and pray with you so you can uh, receive Christ and begin your life with him. If you're in the room with us today, uh, would you join us at the counter after the service? There's some people there who would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. And if you're online, if you go to campcc.net and click on next steps, um, and one of uh, the pastors here will get back to you um, and help you on your journey towards him. All right. Um, a couple things. We're going to receive the offering. There's three ways to participate in that, um, as you should be able to see on the screen in a second. Uh, one is by giving online uh, at campcc.net. Click give at the top of the page. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, where we have an offering box in the lobby. And right coupled with giving is serving. And I know David mentioned serving. I wanted him to put that QR code up one more time. If you wanted to check out ways to serve, if you don't get the QR code, you can just go to our website slash serve and find out that information there. As well as we have a couple tables on the lobby from our children and youth leaders. Um, if you wanna go talk to them about what it would look like to serve in their ministry or any ministry, they can help uh, guide you towards a good fit for you if you aren't serving somewhere yet. All right, before we go, let's check out this video of what's coming up next. Hey Camp CC, I'm Molly Kibble and I serve in the children's ministry here. I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out on both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or you can scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can pray for you. If this is your second time filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter and it's yours. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of cool things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite to come and check us out? August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the island of Catalina. This will be a week you do not want to miss. We have some spots left and you don't want to wait, so register now at campcc.net slash Catalina or for more info, contact jacob at campcc.net. 
August 13th, Awana registration begins. Awana is a fun, engaging Bible club for kids ages three years through high school. Registration can be done online at camcc.net slash Awana or on the church patio. Awana begins on September 7th. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights of encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early and grab a seat. And kids, check this out. Birth through PK is PJs and popcorn. Come in your pajamas and K through fifth, back to school bash. We're talking worship, scavenger hunt, and root beer floats. This is a night you won't want to miss. For more info, contact Katie at campcc.net. October 20th through 22nd, Women's Retreat. Save the date, ladies. It will be here before you know it. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. My name is Sam Stevenson, and I'm the K-3 director. Um, today, I just really love it when David has a PG-13 warning on his illustrations. It's a great week for us to showcase our children's ministries upstairs. Um, joking aside, we've had a lot of visitors and new families in our children's ministries. So as you leave today, can you be thinking about someone in your life, maybe a family, maybe just an individual that you can bite back with you next week? Now, let's head to the patio for service opportunities, donuts, and fellowship. See you next Sunday.